This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd like to encourage you to open it to the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9 will be our text this morning. Uh, Thank you for your continued prayers uh, for my daughter, Emma. Uh, Back in early November, we'd asked you to pray for some potential changes in her insurance and nursing coverage. And I wish I could tell you that we'd heard something, but we haven't. So we'll just continue to wait and keep doing what we're doing. Emma is doing well. Her lungs are staying clear. And for that, we are very thankful. Um, As of this past Christmas, it's been over two years since she has been in the hospital. And that is amazing. I figured up at one point in a three-year period, she'd been in the hospital over 500 days. So to go two years without being in the hospital is a great praise. And we give God the glory for that. Well, as we worship on this very first Sunday of 2023, I direct your attention to verses 4 through 9 of Philippians chapter 4. This letter written by Paul is unique because more than any other letter, its theme is that of joy. Time and time again, the Apostle Paul returns to that theme of joy for this church at Philippi. And you'll see that in the very first verse that we read. So follow with me as I read this passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. May the Lord be glorified in the reading and hearing of his word this morning. My dad had a tradition that on the first day of the year, he would always have the same thing for lunch. Hog jowl and black-eyed peas. Now, this was a tradition that started, he said, going back to his dad and his grandfather. However, he said, my papa Herod stopped eating hog jowl and black-eyed peas for good luck when Hoover was elected president and the Depression began. But my father, for some reason, had revived this tradition. So every New Year's Day, mom would fry some hog jowl and black-eyed peas that my dad, my dad got to enjoy. Uh, he was able to eat all of it he wanted because nobody else would, would eat that. Desire for a good year. Whether you eat hog jowl and black-eyed peas today for lunch, and as Jed Clampett says, it's just as good the second day. We all desire a good year. But today, just just in case, 
You're taking the opposite bent, and you're thinking, how in the world can I guarantee that 2023 will be a horrible year? Well, I'm here to help. I want to give you some points today on how to make 2023 the most horrible year ever. So I'm going to give you five things to take with you if you want to have a horrible, no good year. They're going to come from this passage. So the very first thing I would say is this. If you want to have a horrible new year, be as bitter and as pessimistic as possible. That'll get your year off to a horrible start. I say this because I draw your attention to the command that Paul emphasizes twice in verse 4. It's a command that is so important, he doesn't want the readers, he doesn't want us to miss it. This command, rejoice, always. Again, I will say rejoice. He gives us emphatic command that believers are to rejoice. Now the word rejoice means to take pleasure in, to find well-being. A sense of satisfaction. There's a lot of uh, emotions that go into this idea of rejoicing and joy. It can refer to a settled state of mind that is characterized by peace. Joy refers to a sense of happiness and well-being, of satisfaction. So to rejoice is to make the decision to have the mindset of hope. It's a decision that we make. You see, joy is not just an emotion that comes upon us. Sometimes we have to make the decision, make the choice to find joy. To rejoice is to make the choice to focus on thankfulness regardless of the circumstances. Because notice in verse 4, Paul says, always. He doesn't say rejoice just in the good times. He doesn't say just rejoice when things are going well. He doesn't say rejoice only when you feel like it. But he says always. Now if you are already having a little bit of pessimism in mind because you're taking my counsel to heart on how to have a horrible new year and you're thinking, well, that's just impossible. I remind you that the author of this letter lived out the command he's giving. His very first visit to Philippi did not go well. In fact, Paul was welcomed quickly by the magistrates of the city after he had preached and found a room at some luxurious settings known as the Philippi prison. And while he was in prison, we read in Acts chapter 16 that he and his partner Silas, who had come preaching the gospel, are not sitting there shackled, moaning and bemoaning their situation. They are instead singing hymns and praise to God. So much so that when God sends an earthquake to cause their release, they stay put. Because they're busy worshiping and rejoicing. They had a choice that said, no matter the circumstances, we will praise God. Rather than grumbling and complaining, God, why'd you bring this about? Lord, we're trying to serve you. And here we are in jail. He didn't do that. He praised. So I would tell you, if you want a horrible new year, don't praise God for anything. Because notice the phrase that's given in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. You see, this is not a Pollyanna-ish outlook on life that says disregard everything bad that's happening. We're not rejoicing in circumstances. That would be foolish and, and unrealistic. But we rejoice in the Lord. 
That means we look to the Lord to find joy in the midst of adversity. It means we look to the Lord to find joy even in the midst of bad circumstances. It means we look to the Lord for joy rather than the world. If we expect life in this world to give us joy, our life will be like a roller coaster full of ups and downs, peaks and valleys and unexpected turns. If we look to the world to provide the joy we long for, we will soon find ourselves emotionally tired, bitter, and frustrated because of the disappointments. So by all means, if you want a horrible year, then stay away from praise and from walking with the Lord. Because what you will find is that joy and the Lord are in cahoots together. When you experience the Lord, there's a joy that comes. I was struck this week when I read Matthew 28 of the paradox of emotions that the two Marys felt when they left the tomb. Remember, they came to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body only to find the stone rolled away and an angel there proclaiming that, why are you seeking the Lord among the dead? He has risen. Now go to Galilee, tell the disciples, and he will meet you there. It says that the two Marys left that tomb with great fear and great joy. Isn't that a paradox? Astonishment, nervousness is what has happened, but still having joy. That is something that only the Lord can bring about. Choose joy. Unless you want to have a horrible new year. If that's the case then focus on being bitter and pessimistic without seeking the Lord in anything. Second counsel I would give you if you want to have a horrible new year is this. Be legalistic and judgmental. Never give anyone grace. If you want a horrible new year, that's a sure way to ensure that it will happen. Because you notice in verse 5, Paul gives us the second command from the Lord. Let your reasonableness be made known to all. Now notice that scope of this command is all. This idea of showing our reasonableness isn't just to those in the church. He's talking about being, letting our reasonableness show to believer and non-believer, Christian and non-Christian, churchgoer and non-churchgoer, everyone that you meet. So the question is, what is it that Paul is calling us to let be made known to everyone? He says your reasonableness. It's a very unique word, only used twice in the New Testament. In fact, the New American Standard translated, translates it as gentle spirit. Let your gentle spirit be made known to everyone. The King James Version translates that word as moderation. Let your moderation be made known to everyone. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it as graciousness. It's a word that means gentleness, kindness, tolerance. Theologian I. Howard Marshall describes the idea represented by this word in the, this, these terms. Be charitable toward other people's faults and merciful in other people's and be merciful in our judgments. Be charitable toward other people's faults 
and merciful in our judgments. Simply put, give grace. Give grace to everyone. Co-worker that gets on your nerves. That person at the checkout line who does, seems to be distracted and doesn't give you the correct change. Give grace to that person who's in the other car driving and apparently doesn't know how to drive. You see, if you want 2023 to be a horrible year, then by all means be harsh, legalistic, and looking down on others. Because God tells us to be gracious. See, judgmentalism never ends well. A professor of mine at Southwestern, Dr. Dickens, told a story of when he was a pastor at First Baptist Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. See, the church was located not too far from one of the horse racing tracks. And while they never condoned gambling, he had a heart to reach the people that would gather on the track, often on Sundays, and particularly the jockeys. So he began working over a period of years to establish a relationship with the owners of the horse track so he could get a foot in the door to start a Sunday morning Bible study for the jockeys. Well, one Wednesday, he spent the day at the horse track meeting with the owners. And finally, they gave approval for him to start a Bible study for the jockeys and anybody else at the track that would want to come. He couldn't wait to get back to the church that Wednesday night to share the good news of what doors the Lord had opened for ministry. As he came in, he was met by that person. You know that person. And as he walked in the hallway, she met him and she said, Pastor, I want you to know, I know where you were all day today. I saw your car there all day long. He said, well, let me explain. She goes, no, I don't want to hear it. The deacons are going to hear about this because I know where you were. Dr. Dickens said, well, okay, because he knew what was going on, but he decided to well, he had more gumption than I did, so he decided to teach a lesson, a very real lesson. So that night after church, he had a friend follow him. He drove his car to her house and parked his car in front of her house and left it there overnight. And his friend took him home. His car was there all night. And the point was made. Not to be judgmental, quick to judge. You see, the root of legalism is a lack of grace. Most people who are judgmental and legalistic really have not experienced the grace of God. So they don't give grace to other people. You see, a sign that you have received forgiveness is that you extend forgiveness and grace to others. Likewise, a sign you've never received forgiveness and grace is you withhold that from others. And we often cling to these attitudes of legalism and judgmentalism because they give us a sense of control over others and even over our own salvation, a sense of superiority, and that pushes people away because I can tell you this, legalistic people are not joyful people. Usually, they are lonely because they are angry. And this morning, I want you to know if that describes your heart, the way to escape legalism and being judgmental is to find freedom in the grace of God. The grace of God that says you're not perfect. 
but I love you anyway. Unless, of course, you want to have a horrible year. In that case, please, by all means, hold on to being judgmental and legalistic. Because that will simply push people away and rob you of any joy. All right, there's a third step to having a horrible new year. Worry about everything. If you want to have a horrible year, please let your mind be consumed with everything that can go wrong and worry about it. You'll notice in verses 5 through 7, he gives a third command. I want to come back to the Lord is at hand in just a moment. But in verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Anxious is the word for worried. Don't let your mind be consumed with fear. Now, often, and I've heard this, and you may have too, is people will often excuse their anxiety by saying, I'm not worried, I'm just concerned. Well, that's like being covered in mud and saying, I'm not muddy, I'm just covered in wet dirt. It's the same thing. Worry is the bloom that grows from the root of fear. We fear what might happen, and fear comes from a lack of faith that God's in control. Jesus himself warned about worry because he said when the seed of the gospel hits, sometimes there are thorns that will grow up and choke out that seed. Those thorns, he said, are the worries of the world. So I ask you to put this question to yourself. What does worry really accomplish? What does worrying about something really do? Let me give you some things that worry does. It causes fatigue and dizziness. It makes us irritable and unable to focus. It causes headaches and nausea. It leads to digestive problems and heart issues. So if you want a horrible new year, keep on worrying. In fact, here are two keys to continuing on in a state of anxiety. First, don't ever put your mind to God's nearness. Put it out of your mind if you want to continue and worry that God is near. Now I draw your attention back to verse 5, the very end of it. He says, the Lord is at hand. Now, it's debated as to exactly what Paul means. Does he mean that the, the Lord is near in his coming? Or is it a reference to the presence of the Holy Spirit? And it's a little bit ambiguous. But I would point out the connection. The Lord is at hand, semicolon, don't be anxious. As if that semicolon is saying, therefore, don't be anxious. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. He is with you. It is a restatement of what Jesus said as he ascended. To the, when he was ascending, he said to the disciples, I am with you even to the end of the age. I love this story that is told by uh, Timothy George. He's a professor at Beeson Divinity School. He learned preaching from Dr. Gardner Taylor. Now, Dr. Taylor is a prince among African-American preachers. An incredibly gifted orator whose sermons are still available today. And he said, Dr. George said he remembered hearing Dr. Taylor tell the story of when Dr. Taylor was a young man and had just started preaching. He was in rural Louisiana. And this was at a time where it was unique for churches to have electricity. And in this small congregation, they were having night services because they had installed a, an electric light bulb, one one light bulb over the center of the congregation. And he said that night Dr. Taylor was preaching, preaching down a storm. Literally, it started storming outside. 
so much that the light went out. The light went out. Dr. Taylor didn't know what to do. So he started stuttering and stammering, figuring out, should I go on in the total darkness? When somebody yelled out, preach on, preacher, we can still see Jesus in the dark. Dr. Taylor pointed out, and the good news of the gospel is he sees us in the dark too. That's what Paul is saying. Don't be anxious. He sees you. That's the, the antidote for worry. The Lord's with you. Don't be afraid. But if you still insist on continuing in worry, don't pray. Never thought you'd hear those words from the pulpit, did you? But if you are insistent on, I want to have a horrible new year, so I'm going to worry, don't put into application what Paul said in verse 6. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You can't say God doesn't care about the minutia because notice what he says in verse 6. Let everything, in everything by prayer. Everything. God cares about the details of your life. In fact, if you take the attitude of saying, well, I'm only going to take the big things to God, I would ask you then, What's big to God? What are you going to take to God? And he's going to say, oh, ooh, that's a biggie. <laughs> the antidote to worry is learning to pray continually. See, often we find, fall into the mindset of thinking, well, if I give it to God, it's one and done. You may have to come back to God in prayer continually, laying this thing before him, saying, Lord, be at work. But notice the promise. When you let your request be made known to God, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. Praying continually. In everything. And mark with thanksgiving. Isn't it amazing how this idea of joy. Because thanksgiving and joy come together hand in hand. People who live with gratitude are joyful people. So he says let your request be made known by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Even if you just say Lord I thank you that you hear me. That's a starting point. It turns our hearts away from the negativity and the problems to focus upon God to say, Lord, as long as you are on the throne, there is hope. Unless, of course, you want to have a horrible new year. Then worry. Here's a fourth thing. If you want to have a horrible new year, fill your mind with negativity and junk. Just soak in everything negative you can imagine. Because that's the opposite of verse 8. Paul concludes this section by saying what we ought to think on. Notice the command at the end of verse 8. Think about these things. And of course, what are these things? Things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Turn your mind onto these things. Now, I could spend an entire sermon breaking down what is true, what is lovely, what is pure. But even thinking about the first one, we, we struggle with because we live in a day and age where opinion is taken as fact. And reality is we often only listen to the opinions that agree with our opinion to validate what we think. So what do we do where we live in a culture where anyone who has access to the Internet can put out their truth? It means that we must focus on that which conforms to reality. And the greatest reality is God. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I think the call is for us to focus on Jesus more. I remember when Dr. John Piper was diagnosed with cancer. And he said he made it a point that for every one article he read about cancer, he would read at least five chapters in the gospel to balance things out. So I wonder what would happen if we took that ratio and applied it to our intake of news. To think about Jesus more than we think about politics. To think about Jesus more than we think about cultural change. You see, the rest of these, the, the admonitions in this verse fall in line with that. Now, I know that feelings are not the arbitrator of truth. But I think a good exercise to put into practice is this. After you read or watch something, do you feel more worried or assured? Agitated or serene? Angry? Or calm, fearful, or at peace. Now it's important to ask those questions because Proverbs 4.23 reminds us to keep our heart with all vigilance. Because from it flows the wellsprings of life. So if we are taking in things that makes us feel angry and agitated, guess what's going to come out? Anger and agitation. So if we can monitor our hearts and say, Lord, this is leading me to a place that I don't need to be and come back to the truth of the gospel, we will find our attitudes different. Unless, of course, you want to have a horrible new year. Then continue focusing on the negativity and the junk that surrounds us. And finally, here's my last bit of counsel. If you want to have a horrible new year, never put your faith into practice. Let your faith be something that you only believe and never seek to put into practice outside the walls of this building. Verse 9, Paul says, whatever you've learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things. That's about discipleship. A disciple learns in order to know God. And knowing God brings about change. That's why there must be a commitment to do. Jesus himself, when he told the story of the two men who built houses, he said the man who built his house upon the rock and his house withstood the storm is the one who heard the words and did them. Now, this doesn't mean perfection. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. He's saying we must be careful never to let Christianity become only an intellectual exercise. We must live it. This is the key point of the book of James. James said, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. And what does James say? If you see your brother without a cloak and you don't give him your coat, what good's that? If you see someone hungry and you don't feed them, what, what good's that? It's putting it into practice. You see, all theory and knowledge without application really accomplishes nothing. 
So what type of year do you want to have? Before us lays 12 months, by God's grace, 52 weeks, 365 days, 8,760 hours, 525,600 minutes. What will they be like? What type of year do you want to have? I want to ask you to bow your heads with me in the Lord. I think all of us would say, we don't want to have a horrible new year. (laughs) We want to know the peace of God, the joy of God. This morning I'm inviting you to do that. As Chris leads us in song, if you need us to come and pray, the altar is open. If you'd like to, even after the service, just talk with me a little bit more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus or to be a disciple, I'll be available for that. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And after this prayer, we'll stand together and we will sing. Father, I thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, you give us the gift of time, the gift of this moment. Lord, the past is done, the future, it, it, Father, really never exists only till we get to the present. So help us in this moment choose joy, choose prayer, choose to seek you, that you may be glorified and our lives filled with the fruit of your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.